Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies. What the fucking Tennesseans? Is that, nah, man, come on. Come on. It's got to work. It's got to work as a word. Have some respect. Have some respect for the context, man. Why are you talking to yourself? Because I'm in a car. I'm driving from Murfreesboro, Tennessee to Nashville, Tennessee to interview Jack White. I'm in a very you know, decidedly not sexy car. It's a, like a candy apple red rev four is that what it is a suv i'm not cranky i'm just i guess i'm a little nervous trying to prepare here that'll help okay so now i'm in a car in nashville on the highway to nashville listening to sun house death letter song that had a profound effect on me and uh, listened to it on vinyl for the first time. It was just one of those portals into the pain of the blues that uh, punched me in the brain. And I guess I'm heading out to Jack White to you know talk about the blues. It's got to be part of it. I love his new record. I liked his old records. But there's a haunting thing to it. I mean, the guy is haunted by the spirit of American music, and I just... He seems like a fairly charismatic dude. Got a lot going on. He's a fucking rock star. And I'm driving in my red Toyota. Rented. Rented. Would never buy a red Toyota. Buy maybe a silver Toyota. I can live with that. All right, so I'm going over to the Third Man Records. And, uh... We'll pick this up when I uh, when I get there. They have like a comedy stage. Or yeah, something? yeah, they got a comedy stage. It's all right. It's not the it's not the best situation for comedy. <laughs> Wandering people that are just like I just want to cool off, and they wander in. And, and it, there's a lot of people there, but it's very hard for me not to. Uh, to hate them immediately. <laughs> Festivals have never been my favorite place to play. It's just, it's very, it's not, it's not a good environment for any kind of performance. It's really? Just, why, why is that? Because like, I felt like you can't hear the audience. You don't know how you're doing. Shit just dissipates. It's a party, you know, it's like, it's, it's basically an organized gigantic block party wherever it is. And, you know, the best place for music or probably like you're saying comedy is, is in a dark club with the lights off. Nice low indoor. ceiling. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a bar. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you uh, can't walk out of a club. You can walk away from a festival show. Yeah. And that, even just the freedom of that, even if you're stuck in the crowd, you still know in the back of your mind, I could just walk over that other side of this place. And like if you're in a movie theater, you get the vibes that... You know the door. You know the door's not locked behind yeah. you, but you you basically feel like you're here. Right, you can't right. leave. Yeah, and that's reverential to what's happening on stage or on screen. Right. You know? Yep. But at, yeah, at a concert, you're just sort of like you know, there's a guy like you know half a mile away going, nah, eh, yeah. just gonna go get some uh, fried chicken or whatever the hell it is, yeah, yeah. some fried dough. It's it's like I uh, listen to uh, 
coming over here in, in, in not so much in preparation, but but like I was listening to a Sun House in preparation to talk to you. Mm. <laughs> it's like I mean, I I had the vinyl of Death Letter and uh, mm -hmm. and it was and I got that later in life and it was one of those moments where it it was one of those listening to that song where you're like holy fuck changed my life yeah and i was listening to that coming over here because i know you you go back that far with that shit yeah yeah and sure. like in terms of like when that first struck you the the sort of soul of that music when the hell was that i was a teenager i can't remember what what how old i was but i was a teenager sometime i had known a little bit about the blues like holland wolf and all the english bands that loved the blues and all that stuff yeah but not really full-on like getting into robert johnson or, or sun house or any of the the deeper ones I We're have to admit, I was a little bit scared. I remember when I was about 14 years yeah. old, I went to a record store and I was about 14. I remember I was like a freshman in high school, I guess, and I had that new Robert Johnson box that had come out that had did so well. With the two discs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. picture on the yeah. front. And that, that picture on the front, legitimately scary, was scary to me. The when cigarette I was hanging out of his mouth? Yeah, it's kind of wild. Like, I, I kind of look back, like, why was that so scary to me? I just had heard something about him selling his soul to the devil or something right, at that right. time. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that, that, that picture just was, wow, that's... I don't want to listen to that music. You know, I remember really? saying that at 14. So kind of funny, like a couple of years later, whatever, how maybe that was the final attraction. Eventually, when you say something like that, you're eventually going to be drawn into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the same with, the, with, with me and cigarettes and everything else. Everything that looked kind of dark and weird, <laughs> eventually you're like, I got to go in there. <laughs> maybe so, yeah. And you grew up where? In Detroit? In Detroit, yeah. And was it was there a music scene like did you, did you get any of that kind of wave crashing of any I mean you're younger than me so all those uh, Motor City bands were kind of gone right Yeah there was the garage rock sort of scene had was a, was starting it had started a few years before the White Stripes had played uh, which is a band called the Gories and Rocket 455 those yeah. those 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 were the big garage rock bands in Detroit so there was a new scene developing by the time the White Stripes had come around with bands like the Henchmen and and the demolition dial rods and things like that. So, uh, and by the time the White Stripes started to get like in the, you know, maybe a couple of years in, it was a lot of bands. It was yeah. 30 bands. You yeah. Know? It was, it was really, really smoking. Yeah. And there was just that, that, that like punk rock thing almost that just the, the thrust of it all. Did you ever mm. listen to the gun club? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. Because like, I was like, I was going through the old White Stripes and, and, uh, and there was a drive there like the, mm -hmm. that, that dude, you know, he had that blues thing too. huh? Yeah. Yeah. And they came from a bizarre kind of another angle of it, which is so interesting that like Los Angeles sort of, uh, you know, almost they, like if you look at a picture of the gun club, it looks like they should have been in Motley Crue or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 When that, you know, let's, I wanted to like, like, there was a moment where I had with, uh, with the Robert Johnson thing, like when you first start listening to that shit, like your brain doesn't really know what to do with it. Yeah. And then like, you know, to sort of integrate it and to figure it out. Cause like, it seems that you took like some of those patterns and you were able to translate it. Cause I, a lot of times people dismiss the blues and it kind of, it pisses me off yeah. because like the blues at some point became like bar band music, mm -hmm. but the deep shit is uh, it, it, it has its own life and it keeps growing in your brain. Mm -hmm. And you were able to sort of extract that and fucking punch it up. When I listen to your shit, it's like, it almost has a, it's only you, you seem to be haunted by the spirit of american music <laughs> that's a good way to put it yeah <laughs> it feels that way to me too when I mean, if you sit down on the piano and i play a chord um they're not my chords they're not my feelings i think there's a like if you were if you grew up like in an appalachian family you played you know that kind of hill music right. southern music you you 
you would all, always feel like, yeah, this is 100-year-old stuff I'm playing. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know? Right. And that's great. I didn't write this, and but nobody cares. It's right. Just, we're not into it for breaking new ground right here. We're into this for the tradition of it, the respect of it all. <clears throat> and um, I feel that same way about the blues, no matter what its other contexts are, like punk rock or country or whatever else it split up into, the thousand things it split into. It's all the blues to me, so I'm immediately respectful to it as soon as I play the first chord. And you feel it. Yeah. <clears throat> if you're lucky, you feel it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's. And you grew up like in, uh, what was the family situation? I grew up in a train car. My family was dead on the oh, side that, of the road. Okay, great. So, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's the mythology. A lot of people think that's, that's me the... <laughs> making stuff up, but. <laughs> that's the origin story. <laughs> it is funny how much people think I make stuff up, though. But I, I really, I, you know, I, I've never like done all that kind of, you know, where that, you know, I remember you, you, you have a lot of those rappers like put in there from hard hoods and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like I actually was from a fucking hard neighborhood. And it almost seems like people, even in Detroit, didn't care about that. <laughs> you know, because like most of the Detroit artists are all from the suburbs. And, right. And, uh, it's kind of funny. no 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 I'm actually from the city by the way you know like I want <laughs> what was left of the city then I mean like what, what was like high school like for you what were you driving it's around very very desolate desolate yeah. it's still it's even less buildings like Dominic uh, my friend from high school he's playing bass with me now live and we just went and played Detroit last week and we played across the street from where we went to high school and the high school had been knocked down and they built a new one next to it but the old building was such a beautiful building it was kind of a, a shame they had to do that not even kind of it was a terrible shame they had to do it but yeah it's a lot of bizarreness there's not enough money to keep those things alive to keep those old buildings alive and no interest in someone redeveloping it so a lot of those things just go old tiger stadium which was the oldest stadium in the league gone got knocked down and seemed like if that was in another town if that was in boston or chicago that wouldn't have happened i know i never like i heard about stuff about detroit now where they were actually thinking about pulling in the city line and just cutting most of the city loose yeah they've been talking about that for a long time that's a great idea they really should just get rid of the city government altogether and start all over again i mean they've just failed they have failed for 30 years you still have family there yeah my whole family lives there my whole family how many people are in your family i know it's big Uh, i got nine brothers and sisters can you name them all yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maureen, Ann, Ray, Steve, Joe, Barb, Leo, Eddie, Alan, and me. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Ten kids, man. And yeah. you were wearing the order. I'm the last. I'm the last. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it? my mom was 45 when she had me, too. So, And I was seven years older than the... It was seven years since the ninth child. So I was way tacked on at the end. It was... I was oh, basically man. like they found an orphan or something. <laughs> Put them in the house. It's just bizarre. Like, all my brothers and sisters were like 21. You know, they could have been my parents. Yeah. And so, so. you were like, were you, were, you, were you an accident? Oh, I had to be. Yeah. I mean, I, was like, <laughs> I think every one of them was. It's like a Catholic family. And so there's, there was no... Uh, there, there's no accidents. It's just, yeah, it just they're deal all with it. gifts from God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're all... And it, it, what was nobody your, was planned. Yeah. And what you, what was your, what was your old man's business? My parents both worked for the Catholic Church, so they they he he uh, he was in charge of like three buildings in downtown Detroit, like maintenance for all of them. Uh huh. And your mom was did she what? She was a secretary for the cardinal. So for the big guy. Yes. Yeah. So were you hip to all the politics of the church? I mean, when did you sort of you yeah, know, yeah. start to understand that? Yeah, it was, uh, well, it was, we were fully engrossed in it. And, you know, I was an altar boy. My, my brothers all went to the seminary. I got accepted at a seminary. Uh, I didn't go at the last second. I, I changed my mind and went to public high school. At the Detroit. last second? I mean, were you really? I was accepted. I was going to go to Wisconsin, go to the seminary like my brothers had done, too. And I just sort of. Your brothers are priests? 
No, they didn't become. One of my brothers became a brother. It's called yeah. a brother. Yeah. And uh, but none of them, none of the rest of them, had become priests. Now, when you were all growing up, I mean, was did you believe it? Yeah, you, know, you don't really know any better or know any different. Or, sure, or but have, I mean, or have a choice. Yeah. So hell was a real thing to you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have like uh, all of that. Every all, all of it. Yeah, you're you're fully engrossed in it like that. Like I can't, I can't. I grew up Jewish, and I know that uh, you know the Catholic thing you know you go into a, a catholic church and it's a pretty heavy mind fuck i mean there's a lot of i mean was it full-on like incense and the, the whole yeah business? oh yeah 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 the uh latin the, uh yeah well that had changed that had changed in the 60s but before i before i was going uh but that's that was what they used to do my brothers went to those latin masses did you find that like when you were a kid did you did confession and all that yeah, yeah. And you carried all that shame for everything. <laughs> <laughs> See, there's Jewish guilt and Catholic guilt. Yeah. They, 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 they have similarities, but yeah, but they're uh, yeah, guilt alone is is a heavy thing to throw on kids. You know, it kind of can it can help you sculpt your life. It can help you have a, a good personality in a lot of ways. You yeah, know? but in a, a lot of ways too, it kind of you can't shake it. The guilt. It's hard to cleanse yourself of that and shake yourself and realize that a lot of other people are not feeling the same guilt that you're feeling you know you have to go through a whole period where you kind of try to get rid of that yeah and not beat yourself up because it's hard not to translate guilt into just i'm an asshole oh exactly <laughs> totally <laughs> totally totally and when like do you like you have kids now do you raise them catholic or is it still in you i'm not i'm not i'm not really i've never been a religious person since i've been an adult like i i don't i mean i said the word religion it's like it's a bad word you know i mean i love i believe in god but i, I don't i don't believe in any paths of the, to get to him and right. these things people made up down here how about the hell thing you know? is that still intact i don't believe in hell i don't think that thinks that's sort of a ridiculous thing i don't even think the bible really talks about hell yeah if you really if you really get down to studying it it's it, it's something about revelation said something about that but yeah everything else doesn't really mention that very much and i think a lot of people disagree with that but you know uh, there, there's a lot of funny things about the bible that people don't realize you know there's no mention of of the devil living in hell right. in the Bible right. anywhere. Right. Yeah. So you went and did the research. Like all that stuff. No, it's just like, you know, when you when you you, you read things here and there, yeah. you like you you kind of you kind of think there's a lot of misconceptions and they're going to keep continuing for hundreds of years, you know. Yeah. Just cuz it's just it's easier to sell it if sure. you do it that way. Sure. Yeah, um, if you can scare the shit out of people and <laughs> and coming to church every week and throwing a few uh oh, few yeah. bucks into the dish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. like I imagine that getting rid of hell was probably a, a load off. <laughs> Like just sort of did just fade I away. I made a record a few years ago called "Get Behind Me, Satan." And yeah, that was uh, that was my favorite thing that Jesus said in the Bible because I think it's such a bizarre statement to make to get behind me and all the double side of it. Like you're playing the devil's music, and you know the devil's a part of it. If or there's any kind of quote unquote temptations that uh, there's a movie that Al Pacino made where he's the devil. Yeah, devil's at, oh, yeah, I saw he devil's that, advocate, yeah. yeah. He gives this really, the movie can be cheesy at times, but he gives this great speech at the end where he says he's a friend of man. Like, I've always given man exactly what man wanted. I never said you could look at this stuff that you can't have. You know, look but don't touch. Right. Touch but don't right, eat, right, right. eat but don't taste. All these things. And I thought, that, that's really brilliant. That is exactly what, if there is a devil, that was exactly what he's doing, giving you what you want. And why does God do the opposite? Why does he put that in front of us and take it away? And why do you make us want these things that we're not allowed to have? Right. What is the whole point of that? That, that, that test is a ridiculous test that seems beneath 
a god. Sure. I think. Well, know. I think that conception of God, it was to try to provoke us into having some sort of moral compass. Yeah. Like once you realize like, hey, if, if I fuck all of these women and my dick falls <laughs> off, maybe I shouldn't do that so much. <laughs> or like, hey, if I drink and my belly becomes distended, you know, like there was, yeah. like I never understood it until I talked to some dude who, uh, he was actually, a, he's a journalist, Chris Hedges. He, he, was, he was in the seminary and then he decided to be a war journalist. Mm. And he like wrote this book about how, you know, there's no perfecting the human. It's just sin. The idea of sin is there just to keep us sort of, in, in the you, middle of the road. Right, yeah, or yeah, you know, to yeah. have something to judge our shit against. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like this preoccupation with the devil, it, it sort of drives blues music and rock and roll, though, and you seem to be pretty aware of that. I think because you can't help but uh, decide when and where you're allowed to really want something. I mean, one person could tell you, yeah, you're allowed to have that, and somebody else could tell you, you're absolutely not allowed to have that. And we have to decide for ourselves what's quote-unquote right for us to have, what to experience, to do, to say, all those things. And uh, I've written about that a lot uh, over the years. I'm still written about it on the new record as well. I know the new record, mm -hmm. there's some beautiful songs about that. The challenge of relationship, the challenge of trust, mm -hmm. the challenge of, you know, you know, what love means and, you know, whether something is love or not. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that stuff is pretty, it's real shit. Well, if you're going to talk about love in a song, you're going to have to, uh, your challenge as a songwriter is to really try to think of something, a new angle on it. That's because it's been done so many times and uh, to really evoke that word, to actually say it out loud, love. You, you have to really be at least trying to think about it on a different level. For some reason, when I was driving over here, I was thinking like, uh, you know, and listening to all this, the songs and listening to uh, to blues music that, where, does heartbreak fall, play into it? I mean, have you ever been handed your ass? I think that's the def <laughs> that's sort of the, the, the greatest definition of the blues, yeah. So if you, that, that exact kind of pain when someone leaves you and is not coming back, whatever that pain is, that stomach ache, like seeing your girlfriend with some other guy somewhere or something that you know where you get that stomach ache. Uh, some people like you know actually throw up or you know some people oh, yeah. just get this pain. And some people kill people. <laughs> yeah, well they go yeah, <laughs> but the actual pain of it, the physical pain that yeah. your brain gives your stomach is very. I think that's very much the pinnacle of. I want to say the pinnacle, but how to define what the blues could feel like at those moments, that kind of loss. I don't, you know, sometimes you, if someone died or someone you loved, or whatever, you, you, you might not feel that stomach ache where it's like 13 different feelings at once, jealousy, anger, hurt. Self-hate. Like, you know, Self-hate, all that are all inside that stomach ache. And I think that's, that's a really good spot to think of when you, if you think of what the blues is supposed to mean. Yeah, and what you do with that moment. Yeah. What kind of asshole you become? <laughs> <laughs> How far you fall? How much you drink? I mean, you know, because you think about it, people are only killed over money and pussy, really. <laughs> and and that's the whole blues thing, you know. Like, I'm going to go shoot that guy, or I'm not. <laughs> or I'm going to shoot myself. That it's a weird mixture of longing, the urgency of like there, mm -hmm. that. The the fucked up thing about it is there's nothing you can do mm -hmm. if someone yeah. goes yeah. and they're done. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. And Sunhouse says that too. The best. Uh, it ain't hard to love somebody that doesn't love you, and that sums it up pretty pretty quickly in one sentence. And, yeah, and that, that that's exactly what we're just talking about. So when you were uh, when you were younger and you were thinking about going into the church, I mean, what was what was the drive there? Was it just sort of like I guess I'm doing this, or I want to help people, or whatever the calling is to feel that you're okay to stand on stage in front of a microphone and let any kind of words out that you have the right to do that or the you know, the ability or whatever, I think it's the same drive for what they would call the calling of that vocation of priesthood. You, uh, 
why 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 do you think that you could do that? I don't know. Like when, a lot of times when I'm on stage and performing, I I'll it'll sometimes hit me in the middle of the song. Like who do I think I am that I'm standing up here like uh, playing? <laughs> I've never. People always say, were you having questions that perturbed me? Or did you have fun? Or were you nervous yeah. before the show? I don't really get nervous, so I don't know that feeling that way. I've yeah. always just been able to walk up in front of a thousand people and, have, and be no big deal, whatever. They're just standing there, and I'm just standing here. So what? Uh, and the other thing is fun, you know, like, did you have fun? Like, I don't know how to really have fun performing music. I don't really know how to do that. I know to try to get somewhere with it, push myself. I know all these other things. And that sounds a little bit pretentious to say, but I always kind of thought, you know, fun was like being in like a Motley Crue or something like that. Right. You got to be twirling fun. guitars you know, around. Like and, where yeah. you're having everyone smile and having yeah. a blast and it's a party. Like, I don't know. I've never had that feeling. I, I get enjoyment and fulfillment like accomplishing something and getting somewhere and we wow we pulled that off or that was a hard one to do or or I, that note was really expressive or whatever whatever and involving yourself in struggle that's that's not a problem I, but how do you say that after a show yeah i, I really involved myself in struggle and pulled off something really complicated <laughs> i you know <laughs> sure if you want to call it fun yeah fun it's fun <laughs> How do you confuse I don't know, a fan? I don't know. Dude, did you have a fun up there? Well, we were engaged in a struggle. It's like, oh, all right, man. All right, cool. It sounds pretentious. I'm sorry. I don't think it's I pretentious. Don't, I, I just, it's hard to explain it. And it's then, not. It's not. I know the exact same thing. There's a like, if just as a comic, if I get up there, I mean, my whole thing was, uh, but this is different. It's yeah. like early on, it's like I'm going to defy you to like me. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> and then, and then we'll do that thing. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just a dynamic. But, but when you're up there, you know when you hit it, and yeah. there must be some at least elation or something, somewhat uh, dopamine flustering. Like yeah. you, you must feel the juice. Well, you get to a different point too. Sometimes, like say, the White Stripes got to a point where. <clears throat> we could play a festival like we were talking about. Yeah. And we could write out a set list and say, well, all right, let's play this, 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 and this, and that'll totally win them over. Kill. That's it. But it's like, we never had a set list, and I still don't. It's like, I don't want to do that. That's that's too easy. That's not, we're not accomplishing anything. We're not experiencing anything, and the crowd is just witnessing something. The hits. You're just, showbiz. Yeah, yeah. You're like so a live, <clears throat> you're just, you know, uh, uh, you're a puppet of your own making. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You didn't used to be able to do it before you had any any sort of thing that would have been played on the radio. You didn't have that ability to just go out and do that. Yeah. You can imagine now if you're a famous band like Green Day or Chili Peppers or whatever, those bands, they, they, they have a million radio hits. They can come out and just slaughter a, a festival crowd. And sleep through it. Yeah, and you can sleep through it too. So that's a tough challenge, I bet. Um, yeah, I just saw Radiohead the other night, and you know they, they, they got balls, man. I mean, yeah, they, they do. You they know, do and yeah. they mentioned you. They said they were over here. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, but I, you know, yeah, I don't he, know what's up with that. You're, you're like, a, you're like Nashville royalty now. We're just gonna go by Jackson. You know. <laughs> Why did uh, you end up down here? I, I, I needed. To, I had to leave Detroit. It didn't. I didn't feel comfortable anymore. I sort of like didn't have any friends left, and you know, it was not the environment that was good for the what happened to the White Stripes. It was. Very cynical and jaded, and just it, the musician scene. Yeah, our our yeah, the musician scene around us. It's a tough town. The whole Rust Belt's a tough place to live. I mean, it's it's a gruff, jaded kind of place to live. You know, you got to be. And I was fine with that. I was fine with that. I didn't even notice it. Yeah. Until that the white stripes hit, and I'm like, oh man, you can't do this here. 
you can't really do this here. Well, and because of the jealousy and the spite and the infighting. Any, and, and everything about it, yeah. There was no real infrastructure to, to keep growing. Right. I mean, if you're a country star here in Nashville and you come up, if you're Taylor Swift or something, and you come up in this environment, there's a lot here to support you. There's also a lot to tear you down, but there's a lot to support you and let you exist. You can find your place. And it's also, but I didn't have a place in Detroit anymore. There was no place left for me. It right. Was, it was all used up. And you didn't want to go to L.A.? I, big cities are kind of claustrophobic for me i can't i, I hard for me to breathe in you know like i, I feel like oh everybody's doing this or right or and, and also there's what they pay but they kind of the attitude like yeah i've seen that so what Big yeah, yeah, yeah exactly that kind of makes me like not interested in art anymore it makes me feel like mm. oh yeah you know and also once you get to a certain point of uh, expertise in your thing you don't want to go somewhere just to be dismissed as a yeah, he'll be around for a little while. Yeah, then, yeah, sure, sure, yeah. And it's, you can't even pull people in L.A. But here, there's integrity mm. to this place, man. I mean, there's a lot of ghosts down here. This is like the real historic yeah. American music uh, town. Yeah, yeah. You can go out to Graceland and, you know. It always you, felt accidental to uh, uh, that's comfortable Memphis, and right? accidental. Yeah, uh, Tennessee altogether is, you know, music history is amazing. And uh but but the uh, anywhere down south, I looked all over, you know, Georgia and Mississippi. I looked all over for a place to live. And um, why the south in, in particular? It always felt comfortable to me on tour. It always felt comfortable to me. I, every time I went on tour, I thought, "Wow, this feels really like home to me yeah. down here." I feel everyone's so nice, and 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 their respect for music is so different than anywhere else in the world. You know that I English speaking world that I that I actually know about. Right. The. And this is really the heart of it, isn't it? I mean, the South is really where it all came up. Yeah, through. and then I kept working in Tennessee and, and Memphis and Nashville. And Memphis is very similar to Detroit. It's basically the same town. So it ended up being Nashville that felt right. Did you ever go on any pilgrimages when you got down here? I mean, did you go to Graceland? Did you go do that stuff? I, mean, I didn't go to Graceland until uh, like a year ago with the dead weather. We were on tour and they let us come in there. They like, gave us a private tour, which was really nice. What, and, was, uh, uh, what were your feelings about it? Were you surprised? It was very funny for me because Scarlett and <clears throat> Henry, my kids... Excuse me, my kids yeah. were with us, and uh, Scarlett was about four years old, I guess, this was like a year and a half ago, and uh, she said some really funny things over there. She goes, well, you know, I'm not going to be shy, Dad. If if Elvis comes out, I'm not going to be shy. I'll shake his hand. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry, honey. Elvis Elvis isn't here. Like, he went up to heaven. There, oh, yeah, sure. And uh, she says, um, okay. And then uh, when we got in the van where we were leaving, yeah. she said, uh, and we're driving away, in, you know, in Memphis, we're driving away from Graceland he, in the van. She says, Dad, is, uh, are we in heaven? <laughs> and I said, in Elvis's voice, I'm close, baby. We're in Memphis. <laughs> so but, that was, she said a lot of funny stuff. Like were you surprised at how, like, uh, like, it wasn't, it's not that extravagant uh, a home in a way. No, not at all. It's it, tiny, too. Yeah, yeah. and it, like you think like Graceland, it's just like it, there's a you know, shag carpet, yeah, and then there yeah. were three TV sets, and that was like a big deal then. Big deal, yeah. Yeah, he'd yeah. watch all three. Yeah. Whoa, holy <laughs> shit. That guy lived. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you go into the trophy house and see all that stuff? Yeah, yeah, all that, all that. And uh, it's a nice place. What's cool about it is it's in a neighborhood. I mean, on his yard is everyone else's backyard. They could look over and see Elvis in his yard. Yeah. That's pretty amazing that he lived like that so close to people. Yeah. Were you a big Elvis fan? Um, oh, yeah, of course. Totally, yeah. totally. Was, Who were, like, when you were growing okay, up, how like... How can you not? I, mean, I know, I know. 
there it's uh it's it's pretty it, but he's another guy it's like the blues music that this shit grows on you yeah as you yeah. get it, it does you find that with music as you get older like you go back and listen to something yeah and you're like what how did i not notice that before? yeah exactly that was a good example like, there, there'll be a time period where you'll go like big deal whatever yeah, i mean he yeah. was a pop singer from yeah. back then or something yeah. but then you realize oh wow elvis is just an alien yeah just like hank williams and where are these guys are just aliens yeah hank williams know, so, man did you ever yeah. go down there and go to where he used to play he didn't he play in those he, hockey well he, he grew up on my block i mean he, excuse me he didn't grow up he lived on my block that I live on here in Nashville. Yeah. And they moved his house to where he grew up. I think, I think they pulled his house. And then Tammy Wynette bought it. Yeah. And now it's like a church, I think. I think really? It's like a church community center or something. His house is a church community yeah, center? Yeah, down the street from my house, yeah. And oh, then, not the house. They didn't move the house and make it they, a church. Someone told me they went into Tammy's house and pulled out Hank's house in the middle, took, plucked it out and took it down to wherever he's from, Montgomery, Alabama. I think he's from... Yeah, Hank, where he grew, Hank grew up. So you do you hang out with these cats now? Because it seems like you're at this level where you got to be playing with your heroes mm. on some level, um, like you know, mm. with people like George Jones and stuff. Do you see them around? Oh, man, I would love to meet George. I never met George Jones. So, he, I think he lives like a mile from my house. I don't know where though. Someone told me he does. So, and you had Jerry Lee Lewis here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How he was, was that? Great. He was great. Yeah. He was great. Really great to talk to. And um, he. Uh, Actually, he was sitting in this office here, and Chris Christopherson came in, and uh, they had talked about some old shows they had done together, and uh, there's a lot of interesting things, you know, like the, you know, Steve Cropper was in, he's playing in the band that day, he said, yeah, me and Jerry recorded this song, The Meat Man, never got released back then, so we were all looking that up and listening to those songs that hadn't been released, or got released in some European label later on, whatever, it was just a lot of, a lot of history going on, those guys have played so many shows together, you know. Yeah. Do people just stop by, Jack? I mean, what's going yeah, on man. here? Well, I got to tell you, like when you, there's something about the build, the the building that this is, and I, and for me to to people who work here, to strangers, yeah. to other musicians, there's something about it that is a it's kind of electromagnetic. I don't know what it is because I just wanted a place to build, like store my gear when I bought this building. It was going to be store my gear, and I had Swank and Blackwell were coming in here, and they were going to just re-release the old White Stripes 45s. That was it. They they had a job to do, like. There's like 1545s. Let's get them back in print, get the artwork, and get yeah. it. That was it. And then we said, oh, we'll have a little shop in front. And we're like, when someone buzzes, we'll go and sell them a record if they want to buy one from right. here. It'll, just be, it'll happen twice a week or something. Yeah. You know? Good Lord, man. That shop probably it has hundreds of people that come through it every day. And this place has turned into, you know, in like three years, I've produced 150 records in three years here. And all records that wouldn't have existed had this building had not been built. And, uh, the but, building uh, was here, though, right? Or you built it? It was. Yeah, it was just it was being used for some audio, uh, uh, video production, on like t- yeah. industrial videos. Well, it's pretty like you've you've got it, you know, kind of swanked out. It's pretty. Yeah. I, I don't know what the it's sort of Victorian Gothic mm. kind of. I designed the whole place, that, and and sometimes and the materials is my favorite part is picking the materials. Yeah, you know, it's beautiful, man. This is this is very similar to this is our waveboard studio boards there. Yeah, that were used in my studio that we broke the blades on after we made them. We cut them so that you could, nobody else could have the same ones. Right, to scatter sound. That just to scatter sound. Uh huh. Not absorb or or, def, or reflect it. And what about some of these? You got a lot of taxidermied animals. Yes, that's a peacock. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, uh, what's that called? You got a skull. You need a human skull. <laughs> yeah, someone got to have a couple of those around. <laughs> <laughs> then you've got the uh, 
the strange bit of uh, you know tribal African paraphernalia up there? Is it or is that like somebody gave me armor? that from the Congo? Somebody gave me that. Of course it is. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> now it's got a a place on top of a Macintosh two seventy five tube amplifier. I get what's going on, man. <laughs> <laughs> you get where I'm coming from, sure, now. man. You're sucking shit out of the sky. I get the. Uh, I'm not, not going to mention the steel casket against the wall. And <laughs> you get at the end of the interview. You're going to show me Robert Johnson's head somewhere <laughs> and there's a blunderbuss right that is a blunderbuss yeah. it's a real one that was from the Ryman uh theater here the, the Grand Ole Opry theater Ryman they we, we sold out two nights so that was their present to me it was a blunderbuss uh framed up like that that's that's amazing mm. now what's it so you track down like these instruments is that um, an old harmony or something yeah that was a mask that's a guitar that was made into a mask i wore on a cover of a the dead weather's last album it was uh, oh okay all right prop and it turned it into a mask for now me. What, what's that oh, i'm trying to see giraffe. that's a gibson <laughs> <laughs> do i see the giraffe that's a, like, gi that that's a real giraffe from, uh, head right that's from joan jet that gives joan jet gave me that uh, that, gibson? that gibson and that's a like a giraffe head that's like a real i did i like yes. i for some reason i just took it in it's not a real giraffe head but now i'm looking at it well the funniest thing about it is that it has a a brass plaque at the bottom that says giraffe on it. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone's wondering. Looking for it. Where'd you pick this shit? Why the animals? What's, the, what's up with that? You know, when I was younger, I didn't really, I would go on tour and I, you would, I would come home and uh, I would never go shopping for a t-shirt or anything. You know, I would just, I never bought anything when I was younger. And uh, then I started to go out. Because I didn't go out. I would play the show and just go to sleep. You know, I never was interested in partying, never did drugs, and never stayed out late with people. Never? I just didn't really do that early on at all. I just, I, I would, it's just all about the music, and then I would just go to bed. And, and uh, so I, I started to let myself go, and, and I've always loved older things, antiques and things. So I used to go to antique shops wherever yeah. we went to. And that one, you know, you start doing that around the world for 10 years, you know, you just start picking things up here and there. <laughs> well, what's, and what's that? What's the, uh, the seating there? That looks like it was, oh, from that a... was from a bowling alley in Pennsylvania. Sure. That's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Now you're getting it, man. <laughs> and now this is interesting because this is a huge blow up picture. I think of the only existing photograph of Charlie Patton. That's right. Yes. And that's a, that's a ghostly image, man. He's, it's a beautiful photograph because you really can't tell what kind of person that is. I mean, he could it could be white, black, or yeah. You know, Holland Wolf said he was Cherokee Indian too, which is very interesting. Well, I think he was red haired, wasn't he? That's what they say. Yeah, yeah. And it looks like it could be in that photo. It's very like very bizarre looking person. It just looks. That's exactly who you'd think would be the grandfather of the blues. Right. Somebody who looked like that. Like I had a moment with that, with those, because these, like with Robert Johnson, Charlie Patton, these, there's a finite number of recordings. No one's going to unearth any more shit. Right, right. You got these Library of Congress things mm -hmm. or the Alan Lomax things. But I had the the thing that broke my brain open with him was uh, Bow Evil Blues for yeah, some reason. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's just like he sounds like he's got gravel in his throat. He really does. I mean, the first uh, I would imagine most people the first time you listen to Charlie Patton, you'd be like, "What is this? This is undiscernible, right? Garble, whatever." Right. And uh, man, three, four times in, it just becomes so incredible. Right, it's so incredible. And then Lead Belly, same thing with you. you yeah, did. Lead Belly. I bet this is, but the difference between him and Lead Belly. Lead Belly is a master of melody. I mean, he, his his ability to write melodies in songs is just unparalleled back then. He started so many traditions. I think. I think he he started traditions that people don't really notice. 
uh, with melody, or what's or what folk songs that he would pick to sing. There's a song on the new album that's got a real sort of uh, folk, almost wet belly drive to it. What's the one on the uh, new album that's kind of like Irene Goodnight a little bit? I guess I should go to sleep. Yeah, right? yeah, but, yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. We recorded that, and this band, Pokey Lafarge, was the band in, in the studio when we did that. And afterwards, we were talking about it. I was like, you know, this, this has kind of a lead belly feel to it. Now we play it back. You know, um, didn't feel it at the time, but uh, yeah, but very much so. You could you could hear some melody like that. And I noticed about their new record too that like you seem to be like there's something representative of almost every element of your musical psyche on there. That's Ooh. my assumption. Maybe so. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, because there's some there's some good blues. There's some almost uh, you know, almost ballady stuff. There's a lot mm. of that piano that I can only you know the type of piano that the way you're using it now, like a couple of the, like Beggar's Banquet or a couple of those things. Yeah, yeah. When did you start doing that? I mean, because that's sort of new. I mean, it's all over the record. There's even some electric piano on there. It sounds great. Yeah, yeah. There was uh, a couple of... Uh, there was a great piano player on this record named Brooke Wagner who uh, she kind of can do anything. You can... Which was... So this became a thing where I started orchestrating my own music, which I'd never really done before. Like having seven, eight people and Studio tell them guys? exactly what I want them to play. Okay. You don't really do that in a band. I do that in Raconteurs of Dead Weather. I don't really tell those guys what to play, really. You know, we have a suggestion here and there, but when you're in a band, all the people play their own parts, make up their own parts. Even if they didn't write the song, they, they accompany the the way they want to. Uh, when you're doing this and you have like six, seven session people, they're just standing there waiting for you to tell them what to do. So it was a t totally different scenario, uh -huh. which is how I attacked it. It just kind of felt, made me feel comfortable to make a record with my own name on it for the first time. Right. And so uh, you used, uh, like, did you use a lot of Sessions guys down here, like older yeah. dudes? Yeah, and from other places, from Detroit and from Brooklyn and, and L.A. and stuff, too. They're, they're from all over, but there were a lot of Nashville ones because I've been producing these 45s for Third Man for the last couple of years, so I, I've known all these different session musicians from each one of those sessions. So we knew, like, well, who would be a good fiddle player on this song? Who would be a good pedal steel on that song? You know, we, we just would know. And I, uh, I'd say, well, try to get so-and-so today. I, pick, I like to pick the day of. Can someone come right now and play drums? That's a great moment for yeah. a musician. They're just waking up. Jack White needs you over at the place. Like, Fuck, <laughs> I, I got to go. Where are my pants? That <laughs> kind of feeling, yeah. This really is. That's exactly what it is. It's, it's a good energy because you woke up that morning not knowing what you were going to do, and then you're in the middle of that recording. If I told you three days ago on Thursday... You'd be freaking out about it. Or something would happen, or we're going to do this thing. So the energy would get lost, and... Uh, what I love about that is that don't let drummers out of town. He's playing a gig. Okay, well, then get somebody else. Now the whole situation is totally arbitrary. Right. And now we can, and I can create something out of that. But you know these guys are awesome. So there's never the sort of like, well, that guy's not as good. You, that, there's just a different drummer. But you but do you do get in these scenarios where you have to use somebody that I would not have normally used. And it's sort of like, all right, that guy's only bluegrass. <laughs> And we're gonna put him on this rock and roll song. Like we'll we'll make it we'll make it work. You know? and, and you that wasn't some... my first choice, but now we can make something cool. And usually it's better. It's that way. When you were a teenager, what was uh, who were your guys really in terms of the music? It changed a year by year as I was a teenager because I was coming out of like my brothers all had a band and they were very into sort of rock and roll, famous rock and roll. Bob Dylan, The Beatles. Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones, they were into all those big That's bands. the gift of older brothers. Yes. I mean, you had, yeah. you grew up yeah. with, just, can I borrow this record? Yeah, exactly. Which was the first rock record where you're like, holy fuck. I remember when I was a kid, uh, like about six years old, uh, I remember listening to The Who with my friends on the block. We would listen to The Who a lot. So that was definitely the first thing I can remember while wow, rewinding the tape and playing it over and over again and knowing all the lyrics and stuff. That that the who meaty beady big and bouncy that like greatest hits of theirs I think it was yeah 
And how did it evolve? So you had all the you had the basic sort of uh, bedrock of classic rock. Yes. And you were yes. driving around listening to that shit. Yes. And then uh, by the time I got to be uh, like maybe fifteen, I was working at an upholstery shop, and that upholsterer, who actually his family grew up next to ours. And he uh, was started turning me on all kinds of things, Velvet Underground, the Cramps. You need that jackets. guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those guys, like, they're yeah. life changers. They really are. They're my mentors. I've had a lot of mentors. I, I kind of s- would seek out mentors. I think from having older brothers, so many of them, you kind of were born with mentors already in the house right. a, a bit. and Because uh, they're not your parents, and they're not, they don't really need to turn you on, but they do to things. And, and um, so I would always seek those out as I was growing. And as a songwriter, too, I started hanging out with you know, European artists and coffee shops and different things like that. And uh, and just always people like 20 years older than me. Sure. Well, how was your dad around too much? Or yeah, yeah. He just passed he was, away a couple of years ago. So he was there the whole time, yeah. He was good. He was like a solid dad. He's very funny. He was a very funny guy. He's classic, classic old 40s kind of dad, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did what, you learn from him? He was always, uh, he, he would... Uh, that's a good question. Well, I'll give you, I can give you an example that just popped in my head. would be like, uh, I remember one time we were watching W.C. Fields juggle boxes, juggle cigar boxes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just three boxes, and you know, he, he flipped the middle one on the end and grabbed the end right. oh, yeah, yeah, back yeah, in yeah. the middle, that thing. And he just looked at me and said, try it sometime. You know, and it's sort of like that kind of thing where, yeah, you know, that's right. This shit ain't easy. <laughs> <laughs> that's the moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you try it? No, I don't know, but you know, but his point, you know, his point was, yeah, yeah, these guys know what they're doing, you know, yeah. and there's people that know what they're doing, there's people that don't, and people that have heart and soul to what it is, and people who are all fluff and are just up there for whatever, yeah, and uh, so that that's that's what his scope was on it, and in these other mentors, so you had the guy, there's that important guy that's sort of like you've never heard of the Velvet Underground, you're like no, and then all of a sudden everything changes, yeah, yeah. but you were consciously seeking, um some sort of input from yeah i wanted to play music at any and all costs i remember like uh you know some i never did another job uh you mean outside of music like when you were younger well yeah i did upholstery and then i had my own upholstery shop after that how old were you when you had your own upholstery shop because you're a young guy 21 you opened an upholstery yeah. shop. I was very go-getter, man. Like, I, I mean, I had my when I was twenty-one. I had my own house, uh, mortgage. I had a van, a sh- you know, shitty van, but and I was in three bands, and I had my own upholstery shop. I, I was always trucking really fast, and you wanted to make the you wanted to make the business. I just wanted to create things. I mean, I think the business side of it was bad for me when it came to the upholstery shop because I got so into the cartooniness of it. You know, I was writing people's bills in crayon and dressed in yellow, black, and white with a yellow van that used to be a fire department van. And I just and people what would you didn't take it seriously. Yeah. Like antiques and things for people. And you knew how to do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You the could upholstery. upholster something now? Oh, yeah. I could do this couch right now. Yeah. This is a channel back yeah. couch uh, with, you know, this alternate color welting. This is mohair fabric from 1940s, which is why it's still still together right now. If it was, if it had been velvet... It had been it would have been worn out right easily, but mohair can last. This is the original fabric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you could have you could strip this down and put it back together with the tools. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a very difficult trade. It takes a lot. It takes probably like ten years to really get to the point where you can feel really comfortable doing it. Uh huh. So. Um, and what other arty things did you do when you were upholstering? Well, that, that was back. Well, that's a good point. A good way of putting it because I had studio and i was also doing constructed sculpture there and yeah. i was also in three bands so 
Constructed sculpture. Sort of like I was working on, um, yeah, it would be amalgamations of things, putting things together, not taking away, like chiseling sculpture. Would be right. Putting oh, together, yeah, sure, yeah. sure, sure. And, uh, and, uh, like this entire room. <laughs> basically, yeah. <laughs> so I was doing all that. I was in all those bands, and it was very, very hard to, because uh, I didn't care about the money. Like They pay you for a couch or something, you'd finish, and you'd just, I'd always be like, I'm not excited about this because I'm just going to take this money and pay the electric bill with it, and that's it. Yeah. So what? It never got me excited to like. Oh, if I did two couches, I could have had twice that much money. Right. I'm mean, like, uh, who cares? I don't know. I just never just getting by and making shit. Never bit into me like that. Right. I cared more about like if I could really, if I could figure out a way to make music or art and and not have to have a day job and actually have that freedom of that where you can create all day long. Wow, what's that like? You know, I get these little tastes of it here and there. So you were black and yellow van. Now you got a black and yellow building, and exactly, then you did yeah. uh, uh, red and white for a while. What's yes. with the uh, with the colors? They're games? very uh, centered around the number three. I was sort of obsessed with that number being for about perfection. They, they, there's a there's a, an appeal to it. it's like yellow, black, and white, or red, white, and black. There's um, I was funny. I was just reading something yesterday about uh, teams that wear red. In the Olympics, yeah. countries that happen to have red in their flag, that they're more likely to win a gold medal. It's just a statistic, you know. Right. Who, who cares? But at the same time, like red's a really powerful color. So I knew that with the white stripes, so when we had picked that, I said that's a really powerful color. I mean, from from Nazi iconography to, uh, to Coca Cola to yeah. uh, you know the Red Cross to fire department, fire engines, and that that color invokes so much inspiration and anger and all kinds of things with people. I think that's just the most powerful color combination you could pick. And uh, I'm glad that was things... a, I'm glad that was a long list. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad it wasn't just like the Nazi, you know, <laughs> and just stop right there. <laughs> you know how great they were. Yeah, yeah, it's a very powerful color. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know it. Did, but that does invoke the, the cartooniness of the Nazis. Take that for example. Sure, there is a cartooniness to them. Like if you were going to design. The evil other army you were fighting. Sure, sure. Yeah. It'd be them. Yeah. <laughs> How yeah. could you not just, you know, look exactly like that? <laughs> there's some, there's some um, English uh, comedy show like Little Britain or something like that where there's like two Nazis in a, at a bunker and one of them says to you, they're like, you know, we have skulls on our hats. Like the SS soldiers. And he goes, yeah. So he goes, don't you think maybe we're the baddies? <laughs> I think we're the bad guys. No, no, no. We're n- <laughs> That's a revelation. Like none of us ever like sat and thought about it. Yeah, yeah, like, I think maybe we're yeah. the bad guys. We're, we're scaring people. <laughs> that's funny. So the the three thing, that's a real obsession. Yeah, it's very um you think it's that's... like a good blessing. Like if you're if you're working on something, yeah. To me it, it means that's an attempt at trying to do it the right way. It's an attempt at trying, because it's not good to be a perfectionist, perfectionist. That just gets into OCD and, and anal and... And yeah, and, beating and, yourself and up. Control freak yeah. and all those things. But if, yeah. you, if, you re, if I find that if I revolve something around the number three, at least there was an attempt made towards doing it right. Maybe like those WC fields, those three boxes. Or right, right. Like that, you know, maybe, maybe it has that feeling like you can show uh, that there's not much else... Like you take a speaker, you got you got low mid low mids and highs. You right. got the there's thousands of frequencies, but we separate it to those three things. You also and, got the uh, you father. Got, you got it all covered. You the know? father, son, the Holy Ghost. Yes, you got that too. Yeah, yeah they, they, maybe that's the the last thing you held on to <laughs> of your Catholic upbringing was some obsession with the Trinity, <laughs> triangles, points. 
But I don't like triangles, by the way, actually. No <clears throat> triangles. I don't like them. For, I mean, they scare me for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of points. You know? <laughs> they make a good point. Yeah. yeah and they, <laughs> I, I never, uh, never, never was any good at the mathematics. So with the new record, like I got to tell you that, about this moment I had because I hadn't listened to the new record yet. And I was just in a car. I knew I was going to talk to you, but I, I had no idea what was on the record. And it was during the day. And I'm driving down the street. I'm listening to KCRW. And, uh, you know, I'm shaking comes on. Mm. And, you know, and in my mind, you know, that song is like the Blasters fucking owned that song, mm. you know. And I'm just driving. I, I hear, never knew about, by the way. I never even knew the Blasters. You never that, knew? No. Well, but not, the, until we'd, not until we put it out. Right. And so, like, I'm just driving. I knew that song. And, and it's like sort of like, oh, someone's covering. I'm shaking. And then, like, it, it turned from that to, like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> oh, my God. Like, you know, there was that, just those bursts of background vocals and that, that drive that you got with mm. that drum. Mm. That thing kicks ass. Thank you. Thank you. That <laughs> you was, must uh, have been happy with that. Yeah, well, that's why it went on the album, because it wasn't supposed to. It was just... It was, I had all female musicians in the studio. That was the first day. I said, well, tomorrow we'll have all female musicians and see if that changes the energy of what's happening here uh, in the room. Uh, we'll have them record the same songs the guys did yesterday. Yeah. So uh, that was the all female <clears throat> band? Yeah. So I said, yeah, let's, usually when you start with a whole new thing, it's good to start. I, th I like to put a cover song out there first. Break the ice, get everybody used to playing really? together. So oh, you mean you, oh, when you're recording? Yeah, like say so these girls never played with each other, never played with me. Have they ever played that I, kind rather, of music? Rather than go right into one of my songs and try to make it great to, on tape or whatever, right? Let's play a cover song together and see if we can all find some common ground, and then you'll get the vibe of what we're trying to do. Did you now when you do that? Did you play the original, the uh, Little John? Uh, what's yeah, it? I played them Lily Willie, Little Willie John. I didn't know about Little the Willie John's version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I, I didn't even know that many people knew about Little Willie John. That was left on a, re a CD at my house. Someone made a comp CD and left it at my house. Uh, that, that that I'm shaking, which I had not I had never heard that song till like two years ago. So, oh, really? It's yeah. a great song, right? I love it. Yeah, I love it. Why? How do you pick your covers? Like why it's tough. It's tough. You almost like uh, stop breaking down. Is a good another example where I didn't know the Rolling Stones had done it. Really? Yeah. I, yeah. I just I just liked Robert Johnson's version, and uh, and uh, that was supposed to be at that point. That was also another. <laughs> there was another me idea behind why we did it was because it was going to be the back side of this song. The big three killed my baby. It was going to be a forty-five, and I thought stop breaking down. It was like a tongue-in-cheek about anti-auto auto companies right like the cars breaking down right so it was uh that was the initial well that would be great if we did that but then we started playing it and it turned into something way more powerful uh and then so that ended up going on the album just like i'm shaking did it it, it kind of grows on its own you kind of think it's just going to be no big deal right and of course it, cover. of course that's the one that grows into something bigger and you have to put it on the record cause and and also those are ones that are like they they've got that weird depth of having the history of that song like you talked about earlier that, yeah you know yeah that there's like you said you're not aware you're playing a song that's 60 70 years old right and yep. then it comes with all that you know there's a magic that you're pulling yeah, out of it yeah right well there there is it's almost it's almost a little bit easy. It's almost, I think when people, when sampling first came out, people thought, oh, well, of course, you, you're just taking a song that's already proven itself. It's already a hit. People already know it and love it. And you're just putting something else on top of it. That's not fair. Right. The rest of us have to sit and think this stuff, stuff up and write it from scratch. And it is a little bit of, it's still like, you know, when you are covering a song, you, you, if you don't pay the proper respect to the fact that it is part of a tradition in your own head, at least, 
you have to like you know bow a little bit towards that before you change it and add it and change it to something new instead of just like I don't give a damn who wrote this right or whatever. Well, I don't think you, you know, were going to get a lot yeah, of flack. It's like you, oh, that's just you know Robert right. Johnson did the work on that. One. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, well, he, he didn't either. You know, all Robert Johnson's songs were for other people's songs. And he around. didn't really write his own, and and uh, he added to mostly traditional stuff, which I didn't realize. For a while as well. What do you think of Hellhounds on my trail? Oh my God, it's, it's unbelievable! Crazy, right? It doesn't seem like it could be possibly recorded. It's, I don't think you could even attempt to recreate that moment. Imagine who recorded that—the white businessman from the record label recorded. Okay, Robert, that was great. Yeah, yeah. Let's try something else. <laughs> <laughs> we got a hit. <laughs> Can you imagine him no, not like, looking at someone else and like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah. That must yeah. have been amazing. Have you ever had moments like that here? Because I don't know, what, what exactly is your model here? Are you running the new Sun Records? I mean, people just <laughs> stop by and they get in the booth and, come on, let's see what happens. <laughs> it's funny. I, I was saying recently, like, there's people who come here and everybody has a different vibe, and which I think is great. Because um, you can hear someone come up and say, like, oh, your record's good or your show is great or whatever. And you might think you're getting somewhere. Or might There might be a chance you're getting somewhere or something new. But you know you're really getting somewhere when people say different things. Like if everyone says, that song sounds great, it sounds like the Beatles. Right. If everyone says that to you, you're kind of like, uh -huh. after the fifth time, you're like, ah, oh, damn. Yeah. It just sounds like the Beatles. Right. But when everyone, like when people come here and someone says, like you just said Sun Records, and then other people have said, this is like Apple Records, or this is like Prince's Paisley Park, or this is like Chess Records. Right. When you, we hear that all the time across the world. Then now I know we're getting somewhere totally new because... You know what I mean? Like that people were saying that sounds because like that's what I would record. do. I would walk in and be like, "Wow, this place is like blah blah blah, something yeah. like that." And then you start thinking like, you know, it, it's hard for just human nature to 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 think that you're walking into something to totally brand new, and and nothing is totally brand new. Everything well, is part my, of tradition. My sense was that like you know I don't have a sense of how record you know recording studios work, yeah. it, you know, because it's not my business. But it just seems like there's a, a community evolving around yeah. around you and around the uh, around the place and you know the respect that other artists have for you as a producer and as a musician they want to come hang out and be part of that and it, my feeling was always with sun records was that you know that elvis and jerry lee were just hanging out and carl perkins was sure yeah in. yeah, like, yeah exactly. why'd you guys yeah. get in there and do that yeah well so, very much so it, it it is the in that world because i mean if you think of the, the bigger labels of capital or something like that you you would never think you could walk into capital and have anything to go on there uh, even if you're already a named artist or something, you couldn't really walk into Capitol and say, hey, uh, can I put out a 45 on your label? There's contracts, there's all that kind of stuff. But this sort of label is so many different kinds of things at once. You could come in, you could be a band. The Red Hot Chili Peppers could come in here and play a live show here in this room and tomorrow release it on vinyl, on right. a vinyl only on live concert uh, if they want to. And um, I'd love them to do that. That'd be great. The, any, but... Uh, but that's the that's the thing. I think it's it's the kind of place I would think that if I saw I found it on the road, like on on tour, it's the kind of place you kind of expect to run into a few times. I'm gonna go start touring for years, and then you yeah. think you're gonna run into these places, but you never do. Right. You never run into these mythical places in your head where yeah. things can happen. Right. Right. Where we we we're, we're in Brazil and we recorded in the studio straight to acetate. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. We, it doesn't happen. You know? No. It's like we were playing. It uh, takes a lot of planning to do exile on Main Street. You, 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 <laughs> sure, yeah, got to rent a mansion. Well, you know uh, <laughs> well, like uh, like this place has the live venue has the only I think the only one in the world where you you can re record in front of a live audience to analog tape. You have an eight track tape booth next to the stage, and people say, "Oh, there's got to be other ones." Like I would have heard of it. I mean, someone would have said it to me if I I've, I've, all the places I've gone on tour. 
you know, next time you play Berlin, you should play here because they have a well, no one tape, does a tape right. booth next to the stage. And someone would have mentioned. So it. you start with you start with yeah. analog tape, you know, for your vinyl always. Yes, yeah, yeah. See, yeah. it seems like you got a respect for the old crackly stuff, and like I mean, yeah. you got all these Macintosh tube amps. Sure. They're beautiful, yeah. but they're you know. Do you have a, an issue? Like, did you do Blunderbuss on analog? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. No one does I that anymore. On Am I wrong? Tra- I did on eight tracks. Yeah. Um, it's uh, no, no, nobody does it. <laughs> it's very difficult. Like it's very much. It's if you're used to Pro Tools and computers, how easy it is to edit and record. You just click, click, click with a mouse. I mean, tape looks like just a bunch of work that's not necessary anymore. And what, but what do you, people, it, yeah. at, at, outside of the ritual, I mean, what to you is the primary, you know, the sound difference? It sounds so much better. I mean, it's just uncanny how much better it sounds. There's actually a thing that's really proved it to me. I worked at the studio in Blackbird here in Nashville, got yeah. a couple of records, a White Stripes and a Rack and Tours record. And what we would do is you would record on a 16 track, for example. You got the songs recorded and you're going to mix it. You bounce all those tape tracks to Pro Tools, and you do all your moves that you're going to do in the mix. You program all your moves on the board, right? Not in the computer, on right. the board. You're, right. Like, this is, snare drum is going to get louder during the chorus, or whatever. All those moves you go through it, and then you, so you so you listen to the song, you know, two hundred times, memorizing all those moves, right? And program all those. Okay, so you don't want to wear out the tape and the heads on the machine and wear right. out the motors and listen, wait for it to rewind and all this stuff. You do it on the Pro Tools. Okay, we're all done. We got all the moves set. Pop the tape back on. Yeah. Oh, my God. You wouldn't believe how much better that tape sounds than that Pro Tools thing you've been listening to 200 times in a row. Right. If you, if you could just tell, let people sit there that whole time and experience that, they would never record on computer again if they could know the difference. But if you just listen to it once, if I play you, here, I'll play you my song on tape. Now here it is on Pro Tools. You'd be like, what? It sounds exactly the same. Right. So what? It's just this inherent thing. I mean, you really have to get down into it to really know the difference. Of, and I didn't, I didn't experience that till like 10 years into recording it. And always just feeling like, tape just feels right. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, you because it's a, it's a real thing. It's yeah. not just a, you know, a, a, some configuration of ones and zeros or whatever exactly, the fuck happens. Yeah, that, it's, it's you know, you've got this thing that mm-hmm. needs to move. Yeah. <laughs> Something needs to turn. In, and this in uh, song, the- this, this book, uh, sorry, Perfecting Sound Forever, they kind of they wrote this great way of putting it is that you know an analog which is cutting into a vinyl or or recording onto tape the pencil gets out put on the paper and is dragged across the paper and it never leaves the paper with digital and computers the pencil is lifted off the paper over and over yeah it doesn't matter how your sample rate can be a million times a second or a thousand times a second doesn't matter you're still there's still separations between that no there's also people who think that there's a psychological thing that does does to our brain like it fatigues us yeah because we're missing those pieces is that what's doing it to me (laughs) that's what's doing (laughs) there's a lot of pieces missing everywhere but it's interesting (laughs) it is fucking interesting i know we're running out of time but uh i love that uh the uh, Loretta Lynn record. Oh, thank you, thanks. Yeah, what what brought? I mean, just out of curiosity, are, were you, was there some love there? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, were you like like just blown away? That- Meg and I listened to uh, to Loretta Lynn constantly on tour in the van. Uh-huh. It was all the time, and we actually on the way to recording our album White Blood Cells in Memphis, we stopped at Loretta's house that you can go on a little tour of. Right, and stuff, Hurricane Mills. Yeah, and. Because uh, when we stopped there, we we said, "Oh, we should dedicate the album to Loretta." It would, you know, we love her so much, and we listen to it, and there's no irony at all. I mean, yeah. we just love Loretta Lynn, and you know? we dedicated the album to her. And out of that dedication came an invitation to her house, and 
while we're at dinner, she said she was working on an album. I just said, if you're looking for a producer, just I'll put my hand in the put my hat in the ring. Just mentioned it. I thought, no way, they're not going to let me produce that, whatever. And they, then they asked me to do it. But then I was worried. I thought, oh no, it's going to be one of these. They're going to want to do like one of these compilations where every song's a duet, right? Record or one of those kind of records that I, I don't like. And I said, okay, well, well, what were you thinking? Loretta's like, well, I've got all these songs. And we went to her house, and she brought all these songs out in her bedroom. She has hundreds of unrecorded songs written down. And just the first 10 that we pulled out were the ones we recorded. Wow. That was it. We didn't go searching through them all. I, we just pulled out 10. And you, <laughs> and you pulled something out of her, man. I mean, because mm -hmm. like you don't, like country music isn't produced like you produce that record. In in, mm -hmm. in the way that like you know you left her voice so raw yeah, and in yeah. like on Vanderweer Rose when she yeah. kicks in and your yeah. guitar plows in, yeah. holy shit! Yeah. You know you you almost cry. Yeah, that record. It's hard for me to listen to that first song, especially that. And uh, it's it, it escaped. I think for some people it hasn't escaped the idea like the, or my attachment to it or hero worship for for producer versus whatever other albums that have been made like that. But in my mind, I don't think it's. I think it's all Loretta. Yeah, you know, right. I think it's, and people kind of said at the time we were getting the greenhorns there. Well, well, you don't have any country musicians on the record. I said, well, Loretta is country. I mean, she'll be country. Right. You can't stop that. Right. There's no point in you know putting more country on top of her country. Right. Like, let's just, well, they don't know. Yeah. How to take something in? Hey, where's the uh, pedal steel? You're right. Right. Yeah. But yeah. was there one on there? There was one on a couple songs. Uh, yeah, there was one on a couple of songs, but it was very is light. It's not like country pedal steel. Right. It's coming from a guy from Detroit playing. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. So some Motor That's City pedal better, steel. Yeah, yeah. But you did get a little flag from the from the old guard. I think people. Well, for example, you know that record won like we got like five Grammy nominations, and in the Country Music Awards, zero. You know, they Isn't did not. Weird, they man? did not. They did not dig it at the time. Isn't that weird that there's this old this old boy network down here? It's bizarre. That, yeah, and I think you, it's changed. They came, they came around to it quickly after, but at the time it was kind of funny. And how'd that record do? Great, uh, yeah. I mean, Did it do good with the country fans? Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I walk around here, people would say two things to me: Cold Mountain and Loretta Lynn. That's that's when I when, I, when they see me. You know, that must feel good. It's great. It's great that there's another side of uh, uh, the world that that looks at it from a different angle with the things you put out there. It's yeah, kinda, yeah. It's kind of nice. What's the plan? You going to tour now? I'm just home with my kids for a couple of weeks, and now I'm going back out on the, to Europe. So for how long? How many days? I'm trying to do two weeks on, two weeks off now because I have kids. So. That way, I, I'm you know, it makes sense to do it and then come back, and uh, instead of three weeks on and one week home, that that starts to get like you really too. I mean, with kids my age, the the, the age my kids are at, yeah. And when you're gone for more than two weeks, you're yeah. missing a lot, right? I mean, they just they they just grow up so fast. So I, I don't I didn't want to. I just wanna, plus the shows, I think after two weeks, the way I play shows with no set lists and stuff, you start to get into ruts. You start doing the same thing again, right? And I don't. I'm trying to shake that up too. And you and the uh, how how the kid and your ex lives here, right? So you guys, yeah, 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 yeah. we, yeah. And do you, what's how's kids changing you, man? I mean, it's is great, it, it's amazing. Do you it's do funny. you find like uh, you're a little less self involved? You sort of start all over again from scratch. You sort of like wipe the slate clean, literally, yeah. and then you're starting. You're living life all over again through somebody else. Pretty from, amazing from the beginning. It's, it's it teaches you so much you forgot, so much you thought you'd never care about. And there's definitely elements of it when you're when you have as much freedom as an artist as as I've been lucky and fortunate to, to experience. That is definitely something that's telling you you're not going to have this anymore. So you get a little bit worried about it, like, wow, I'm definitely not going to be 
I'm not going to ignore this element. I'm, right. I'm going to be a definite big part of it. And you have to give up a lot to do that. And so you kind of thought, all right, well, you just jump in and swim. And I thought I was going to have to give up maybe one, half or most of what I do in my life. And that's actually not true. You can do both. Just like any parent has to go to work nine to five every day. Maybe sure. you go to work nine to five every day, but I go away for a week and a half or whatever it right. is. You know, it's the same thing. We're all away from our kids at for a time and we come back. Sure. And, and 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 if you're not leaving because you don't want to deal with things, the love is still there and everything right. holds on. Well, the funny thing is I, I might even spend more time with my kids because when I'm home, I'm with them all day long, 24 yeah. hours a day. Yeah. Instead of an hour in the morning and an hour at night before they go to bed. Exactly, know? yeah. Uh, so it's kind of funny. You make up the time. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> And I can't even imagine they must have a, a million cousins. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they, they do, yeah. yeah. And you and Meg get along all right we, still? Yeah, and we have that whole family of people like who live here that are all their aunts and uncles too. You know, all the people, the raconteurs and the dead weather, and all our friends and Swank and people. Those are all their extended family. You know, the way Third Man is, it's just we just have a, a huge family now, which is great because me and Karen came here by ourselves. We didn't know anybody. We just right. came here cold. Me and her. That was it. We didn't have kids even. So yeah, it was. Uh, a little bit scary at the time. We're like, we we might be here by ourselves for a few years before we make any friends. You know? <laughs> but now it's changed very much. So, and Third Man's changed for everybody. So it's very, it feels very productive, creative, fulfilling for everyone across the board. Well, congratulations on all your success, man. Well, thank you. It was thank great you. talking to you. Thank you. Okay, I'm back out in the car. Um, I think that went pretty well. I I was. I was uh, I was a little nervous, but I'll tell you, man. I just saw some a couple things. I just saw something happen that was really pretty great. But I I don't know if I gave you a full idea of what he's got going on down here. I mean, Jack White has got this amazing operation. There's a store in front, and then you go in, and there's a, a like a warehouse shipping area, and then you go further in, and there's this seating area with a kitchen counter and a fridge. And all these stuffed animals and a great stereo system, bathrooms, there's a sound studio and some office space. And then back where we were talking is his office, which has got this beautiful door. And then in the very back, there's a performance space that seats like 200 people for a live performing that he's got hooked up to at the uh, analog recording booth. Pretty amazing. And his new album, Blunderbuss, is amazing. And, and when I walked out to come back out here to the car you know there was a like a father with a with kind of a mullety haircut and his two teenage sons looking through the records in the store and i just walked out and i got back into my car and then i saw jack and his assistants or the people that work for him he walked out with his shades on out to his uh things uh you know his black i didn't believe it was a mercedes there and he's walking out and the father come running after him from the store and I don't know what was uh, what was said, but I, from what happened next, I, I believe it was, can, I, can you take a picture with my boys? And, uh, you know, Jack just turned around, came back, stood for the shot, let the old man take the picture. And uh, that's a, you know, it's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty great thing when, um, when performers, rock stars, you know, take a few minutes out for the fans. Well, that's it. I'm going to drive to the airport now. And um, I guess, you know, look, if you need anything, go to WTFPod.com. You know the, you know the drill. I'm going to, I got a little time here. I think I'm going to go find some pancakes.